If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to John chapter 11, and we will bite off a lot of scripture this morning from John chapter 11 and 12 on this road to the resurrection. And uh, today is a special day that we come together to celebrate Palm Sunday and all that it entails, all that it means, all that we look forward to as we come to this Easter season. There's much anticipation and excitement when it comes to Palm Sunday and Easter. Right? We, get, we get excited about Easter Sunday. We look forward to all that we'll do to celebrate with family and friends and getting people together. And there's much anticipation as we walk through this week. But even leading up to Palm Sunday, as we look at Scripture, my heart was taken to what happens right before the triumphant entry. As you look at John chapter 11 and John chapter 12, you see a clear line leading to the resurrection. And it's almost as if, it's almost as if God has so ordained this thing to just call attention over and over to say, hey, I'm trying to show you what I'm doing here. Right, over and over, just saying, hey, look, look at what's going on. Look at what's happening. I'm going to try to show you and demonstrate to you that something's about to happen. And so as we look at John chapter 11 and you look at John chapter 12, really, since Genesis, the Bible has been speaking to this moment of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that would bring life and fullness of life to his people. I mean, since, since the garden. It's been testifying to there's going to be coming a time, there's going to come a time when Jesus would come, live on this earth, live a sinless, perfect life, would be the spotless and unblemished lamb that would die on the cross, that would save the world from their sins. The, the scripture has been speaking since the beginning of this moment, and this is why everything hangs in the balance of Easter for us. Right? We've talked about if there is no Easter, if there's no resurrection, then we have no hope, Right? If there is no resurrection, then we have no peace in this life for the life to come. If there is no resurrection, then we are still dead in our sins. And so everything for the believer hangs in the balance of the resurrection. That's why scholars and people have tried to discount the resurrection, because if there is no resurrection, then we have no reason together as the assembled church. And so as you look to the events leading up to this moment of Easter, you see Jesus throughout the scriptures has been telling us, hey, this time is coming. You look back at the Garden of Eden as Adam and Eve sinned and they fell short as they covered themselves in fig leaves. You see, God came and stepped onto the scene and covered them in animal covering, signifying the first animal sacrifice that would come to atone for their sins. Continue a little further and you see Abraham and Isaac, as Abraham takes Isaac to the altar, you see a ram caught in the thicket to atone and make a sacrifice. You see, as the Israelites were grumbling in their captivity, as the serpent bites, uh, the, the snakes bite the people, uh, Moses constructs this golden or bronze serpent and says, when you look at the serpent, when you're bitten, you will be saved. The Levitical laws tell us when you do this certain thing, then you make atonement and sacrifice by sacrificing these different animals or these different things, providing a system of sacri sacrifices to atone for sins. The prophets have been speaking of a Messiah who would come into the world. And John the Baptist coming and saying, there is Jesus, him who would take away the sins of the world, the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the whole world. He has come to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus coming and performing miracles of incredible kinds, leading to John chapter 11. So let's pick up there, recognizing that without this resurrection, without these moments... 
Jesus preparing our hearts. Friends, can I tell you, in reality, as we prepare for this Easter season, every day we prepare for the resurrection. Every day we are reminded of what Jesus has done. Every day is filled with that anticipation and hope to say, Lord, thank you that I am not dead in my sins. Every day we are preaching the gospel and celebrating his goodness. So let me, let me pray for us, and then let's just launch through these five different seminal moments leading up to the triumphant entry. Lord, we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the joy that we can celebrate your death, burial, resurrection this week. Lord, we're reminded that there is light at the end of the tunnel because of what you have done by raising from the dead. And as we look at this few little moments, few stories here leading to the triumphant entry, Lord, I pray that our hearts are stirred and prepared daily to celebrate all that you have done for us. So Lord, slow us down. With all the things raging in our hearts and minds and around us, Lord, would you just slow us down in these next very few moments to connect to your word and to let it be a lamp into our feet and a light into our pathway. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. The first thing that we want to look at is the death of Lazarus, which we come in John chapter 11, verses 1 through 27. And let's, let's kind of pick up in verse 14 because there's a lot to read there. And you recognize in verses 1 here that we recognize and see that Lazarus was ill. The village of Mary and her sister Martha, Mary who had anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was ill. Now we know that the Lord Jesus loved Lazarus, loved Mary and Martha, and as he goes and hears that Lazarus is ill, he, he lingers a couple days longer. I always found that odd that right before it says he hears that Lazarus is ill, yet he stayed two days longer. You would think if your friend, your beloved is ill, and you have the opportunity to heal them, then you would get on the horse and you would just get on over there as quickly as you can. But Jesus lingers for a couple days, and then he says, let's go to Judea again. And so the disciples go with him to Judea. They're a little afraid of all that would happen to him because the world is rumbling and wanting to kill him. So Jesus says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest in sleep. And then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there so that you might believe. But let us go to him. And then Thomas, who gets quite a bad rap throughout the gospel here, would say, So Thomas called the twin, said to, my, to, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go that we may die with him. Peculiarly, in verses 17 through 27, we see something that we almost feel like Jesus said after he resurrected from the dead. But here is Jesus comes to the place in which Lazarus has died. Martha and Mary are consoled by the Jews, and Martha runs out to Jesus. Martha said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? I think this is 
just incredibly beautiful that days before Jesus would die in on the cross and lay in a tomb, he is reminding and telling Mary and Martha and all that are around, hey, I am the resurrection and the life. Even before he was raised from the dead, he's already signaling to his people, I am the resurrection and the life. Though I die, though you die, if you believe in me, you will not die, yet shall you live. And isn't this a beautiful picture? That all the while, Jesus leaving the breadcrumbs of the reality of who he is back to who he will be when he raises from the dead. Lazarus, dead in the tomb. Jesus telling the people, even though they probably in this moment do not understand it, saying, I am the resurrection and I am the life. Whoever would believe in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. I see as Jesus is walking this passion week, this road to the resurrection, he's reminding his followers, reminding his people that there is something different that is about to happen. There's something new that is coming. He is the resurrection and the life. And if you go to point number two, let's look at in this moment, Jesus' compassion. You see as Lazarus is dead and Martha comes and says, Jesus, if you had been here, then a brother would not have died. Jesus came into the village, and he came to where the tomb was, and now Mary comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had not been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And in verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He said, where have you laid him? Lord, come and see. In verse 35, Jesus wept. And so the Jews said, see how he loved him. I want to just stop for a moment because as number two says, let's look for a moment at Jesus' compassion. As we walk into this holy week, I tell you that there are even moments of my life and time where I I neglect to see Jesus' emotion and the reality of his humanness in this. Now, I want to pause for a moment because Jesus has just said, I am the resurrection and the life. He knows that in a few moments, he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. Jesus knows that he's the resurrection and life. He knows that Lazarus is going to be okay. Jesus knows in a moment, Mary, Martha, all those are going to be around him are going to be okay. Lazarus is going to raise from the dead, and everybody's going to be happy and rejoice that Lazarus is not dead. So Jesus knows the end game in mind here. And I would think in that, there would there be a little bit of callousness that would may say, hey guys, everything, just, it's going to be fine, right? He's going to raise up. Everything's going to be all right. Don't quit your crying. Everybody's going to be all right. Everything's, just, listen, I'm the resurrection of life. He's going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. But even in that, Jesus, knowing that everything is going to be okay, Jesus weeps and feels the pain of Mary and Martha in that moment. And, and there's times in our lives where I think we, th- we see Jesus as up in heaven and he looks down on us and he says, just, it's gonna be okay, just get it right. When everything's gonna work out in the end, you're gonna be okay, everything's gonna be fine. Quit your crying, get up, everything's gonna be okay. But in this, you see Jesus weep with Mary and Martha. When he sees their tears, when he sees their sorrow, even though he knows the end game, he's still weeping in the midst with them how you would feel as a father, right? The weeks and years as we've had kids, obviously, 
But then there's times where they've gotten little sore throats and strep throats and all sorts of things. And there's those times you're sitting there in the bed holding these kids that are crying uncontrollably. And you've given them the medicine and you know that they're going to be fine. You know that in the midst of taking their medicine, their fever's coming down, but they're crying uncontrollably. And you as a dad, there's something in you that's just not, hey, stop your crying. You're fine. You're going to be all right. The medicine's hitting you. You're going to be all right. No, you feel for your child and you almost tear up with them saying, I know if I could just take on your strep, I'd take it in a heartbeat, right? You, You feel that as a parent. When your kids are hurting, you hurt with them. And you know they're going to be okay. You know they're going to be fine. You know the medicine's going to hit and they're going to get over it. They're going to be okay. But as a father, you feel their pain. You feel their hurt. And you want to take it upon yourself over their sickness. And in those moments, we feel the heartbeat of our Lord. Who doesn't just say, hey, you're going to be fine. You're going to be all right. Everything's going to be okay. Just stop your crying. Stop your weeping. You're going to be fine. In just a few moments, Jesus is going to raise Lazarus from the dead and everything's going to be okay. But that doesn't preclude Jesus. It doesn't preclude our Savior from weeping right alongside Mary and Martha. So friends, in those moments when you look up to heaven and you're crying your heart out for the needs of yourself and your family, when you are hurting and you don't feel like God is listening and you don't feel like he cares, when you would feel like he would say, well, hey, everything is just going to be all right. All things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So just get in line. Everything's going to work out. Recognize here Jesus is weeping. And God is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. So we feel Jesus weep. And I just feel so uplifted knowing that our Savior weeps alongside his people. Even though we know that all things work together for good. Even though we know that Lazarus is going to raise from the dead. Even though we know that we will in that last day be with Jesus forever. We also recognize that we face hardships and difficulties and loss and pain and sorrow. And God does not sit up in heaven stoic and indifferent to our pain and our sorrow. But he collects the tears of his people and he weeps and he mourns for them. But he calls them out to be reminded that he is the resurrection, and the life. As we come to Easter, we're reminded that he has taken on our penalty. He has taken on our pain. He has taken the strep throat of our sin. He has taken it all on his shoulder so that we don't have to. So in this, this short passage of scripture, Jesus wept. We see so much about Jesus' compassion and who he is, not just to say, you people, figure it out, get it together, get your life together, stop your crying, but that he would enter into our pain, that he would weep with us when we weep, that he would celebrate with us when we celebrate. We feel Jesus' compassion in the midst of it. And then number three on the bottom of your outline, we see that Jesus would here raise Lazarus. In verses 39 through 44, you see Jesus raise Lazarus. As Jesus goes to the Passover and Jesus goes, oh, excuse me, when Jesus raises Lazarus in verse 38, we see Jesus is deeply moved again. And then verse 39, he says, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, who's always very hospitable to recognize different things going around, would say, Lord, by this time there would be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. So Mary recognizes that Jesus would 
uh, or that Lazarus is very much uh, not alive. And Jesus said to her, did I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and his feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him and let him go. I just, again, see Jesus waving his arms to us saying, look at what's about to happen. We recognize that Jesus, Lazarus, put into this tomb, there's a, a stone covering this tomb. Sound familiar, right? That there's a stone covering the tomb of Lazarus. And Jesus would say, move the stone. Remove the stone from this tomb. And then he would call Lazarus out of the grave, being bound, and say, this dead come out. Do you see the parallels to what Jesus was about to do? Signaling to his disciples, signaling to his people, In just a few short days, he would be placed in a tomb, a stone rolled in front of it, and he would be raised from the dead. And I want to look at verse 44 for a moment. The the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Friends, do you recognize that this is what Jesus is calling us out of? He died on the cross. He raised on the third day, and he has called each of us to come out of your death and into life. As Jesus calls Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. And he is calling you and me out of our deadness and into life. I just want to encourage you. I know that there are some of you in this room today who may be watching online or here in this room, and you feel dead on the inside. I know it because I've talked to some of you, and I know that you have this this heart that just feels dead in your sins, that you have struggled with sin in your life, and you just feel dead on the inside. You say, how could God love me? How could God care for me? There's no way that God could truly love and care for a sinner such as I. There is no way. And maybe you would feel like if they rolled a tomb in front of, a stone in front of your life, that you're so dead that your odor just stinks, right? That your sin is so great that you would be one that would just say, man, that guy stinks. He's, he's a miserable wretch. He, is st- he stinketh, right? No way Jesus is going near that guy. Friends, can I tell you, Jesus calls Lazarus out of the dead, and he calls you out of your grave and into life, all because of what he has done to raise from the dead. So this is an extremely important moment in Scripture when Jesus raises Lazarus, calling us into life. And so because of this, the people are trying to kill Jesus. They hear of Lazarus resurrected from the dead, and so they recognize Jesus is raising people from the dead, and they begin to think, how can we kill this Jesus? And so in chapter 12, as the Passover feast begins to happen, as the people are gathering To celebrate the Passover, six days before the Passover, Jesus, therefore, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus raised from the dead. 
They give Jesus a dinner there, and Martha is reclining at the table. He, she anoints his feet, and Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may continue doing it. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have with me. And so the people are plotting to kill Lazarus as they are plotting to kill Jesus. And so the gathering here is circled around the Passover. And so number four on your outline is the celebration of Passover. My goal this morning is for us to see the pathway to the resurrection and see all these connected dots of Jesus just raising his arms and saying, look at what's about to happen. And so even as the people gather for the feast that is to happen in the Passover morning, we are transported back to as the people and the Israelites gathered to celebrate, are gathered to commemorate the the plague of the Passover and the firstborn son. We're, We're reminded of what happened on that first Passover. I know we're familiar with this story, but for a moment, recognize what has brought the people together as the Pharaoh had hardened his heart against the calling of the people out of Israel. Jesus called the Israelites and said, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost of your home. And if your home has the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, the death angel will pass over your home. So think about that night as as you as a family went to paint your blood over your doorpost of your house, waiting in anticipation for what would happen that night. As whatever families had the blood of the lamb covering them, the death angel passed right over. So we see even the feast that would bring them together would foretell the day that there would be a lamb who would die on the cross who if their blood was on our hands, if we trust in Jesus and we trust in his blood to cover us, then we would not die, but we would have everlasting life. So we see even the gathering of the Passover points us to Jesus and the triumphant entry, which is number five. Number five, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, fear not, daughters of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. End of verse 16. His disciples did not understand these things at first. But when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered these things that had been written about him and that had been done to him. You see, all throughout this story, Jesus has been saying, look at here, look at what's going to happen. Look at this moment, look at what's happening. Look at the breadcrumbs leading up to the resurrection. And in the resurrection, everything unlocks for them. And everything unlocks for us. As we prepare this week for Easter, everything unlocks for us. Everything makes sense in light of the resurrection. Everything for us makes sense when we recognize that Jesus raised from the dead. Lazarus raising from the dead makes sense when we recognize Jesus has come to die on the cross and save us from our sins. Friends, I, I preach this message to remind us that everything in Scripture has been preparing for this moment. From Genesis to this moment in John chapter 12, we've been preparing for this day and this time. Preparing for Jesus to come to take away the sins of the world. 
And next Sunday morning, we come together to celebrate the goodness of what God has done, his faithfulness to us since Genesis to provide a way for us where there was no way. So for generations, Jesus has been preparing the way. And so this week, as we prepare our hearts to sing and to celebrate and to rejoice, I want to put us in a mindset that every day is a celebration and a preparation for what Jesus has done. Every day. We preach the gospel to ourselves that Jesus has come into this world to save sinners such as us. And so this morning, no matter what you face, we look back to Zechariah 9.9. That's right smack dab in the middle of John chapter 12. Fear not, for behold, your king is coming. This morning we recognize that we can fear not. We can take comfort. We can take joy no matter what we face because behold, our king is coming. And this morning, I don't, I don't know what you face. I don't know what's on your heart. I don't know what's heavy on your mind this morning. But can I tell you, behold, the king has come. He has come to take away your sins and mine. And next Sunday, we are going to sing with everything in us at the reminder of his resurrection. But it starts today. It starts every day in our hearts recognizing Jesus has come into this world. He has died on the cross. He has saved me from my sins. And so every day, not just Easter, is a reminder that we live in light of the resurrection. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this road to the resurrection. Lord, I'm, t- I'm just taken, I'm overwhelmed by the reality as we look at all that you have done to prepare our hearts, the disciples' hearts, Mary and Martha's hearts, the apostles' hearts, and our hearts all these years later to recognize the reality of the resurrection, to recognize all that you had done, to get our attention, to show us what you are called to do. That you came to die. Lord, thank you that you lived a sinless and perfect life where I could not. And thank you that you provided an atonement and a sacrifice for my sins. That you called me out of my grave and into life. So Lord, I pray right now for the person who's sitting in this room who feels like that they are dead on the inside, dead to their sins who feel like they may have lost their way, who don't feel like they have life and life to the full and life abundant, who don't feel the peace that comes from knowing Christ Jesus, who don't know the light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, I pray that you would remind them of your love and your care and your patience and your peace that you give willingly and generously. Lord, as we begin preparing our hearts for Easter, as we come and celebrate on Wednesday night the Lord's Supper, As we come again on Friday and recognize your death on the cross on Good Friday. As we come to Easter on Sunday morning, Lord, I pray our hearts are bursting forth with celebration. But Lord, I pray that you would teach us every day to recognize the truth of the gospel in our own hearts. And to celebrate fully and freely every day what you have done. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the breadcrumbs throughout scripture that point back to you. So teach us, teach us to recognize and see your goodness in all that you have done. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.